Welcome to One City Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message by Chris Conley. For more information, please visit our website at onecitymemphis.org. All right, so we are in the fourth week going through the book of Haggai. Um, As we've gone through this book, what we're looking at is there's five major themes in this book. In week one and two, we really focused on, he says, consider your ways. Then last week, what we saw is not only does he say, consider your ways, he says, build the house. And here he's talking about the temple. And I'm going to repeat myself because every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday and they've not been tracking with us every week. And so it's important to remember the context here that the Jews have been exiled uh, into Babylon for 70 years and God calls them back to Israel. King Cyrus issues a decree for them to come back, rebuild the temple. They come back and they, Zerubbabel begins the process of laying the foundation for the temple, but then they meet some resistance from the Samaritans And then that resistance from the outside is met with indifference from the inside. So you've got resistance and indifference. And then all of a sudden, they quit doing the work of building the house. And the house lays dormant for 16 years. And so now let's do some math. 70 years plus 16 years equals 86 years of really walking in more disobedience than obedience, more faithlessness than faithfulness, more consequences than blessings. And so it's important for us to know that when he says, build the house, what's the significance of that? Well, for that day and time, that represented the dwelling place of God. And it really goes back to, in in many regards, the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments, you shall know the gods before me. So it's putting God first. And so he says, consider your ways, build the house. And when he says, consider your ways, he speaks truth and love. All right? We have to remember that though our God is full of grace... And though he is full of mercy, he is also still full of justice. And that as a good, good father, he speaks truth and love. And he tells us what we need to hear so that we can respond to the truth and bring our life into alignment with the truth. More times than not, here's what we want to do in today's age. We want to take the truths of the Bible and adjust them to our life and pick and choose what we want to obey. What we're called to do is adjust our life to the Bible, all right? And so as we look at this, consider your ways, build the house, I am with you, and one of the things that we'll talk about is that God is a good God, but as a good God, he still reproves us. There are times that a parent has to say, no. There's times a parent has to say, that's not in your best interest. Let me caution you. Let me warn you, all right? But what we see today, and this is such an important part of where we're going to go today, is once God gives reproof, he comes back behind the reproof and he gives reassurance. And so reassurance follows reproof, and he does that with this statement that's made throughout the Bible. 
I am with you. I am with you. And then as he does, goes next into the themes, we see he says, work, for I am with you. So we co-labor with Christ. Uh, most of us, if we're not careful, fall into the accidental step of asking God to do everything, and we keep waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and yet I think revival's waiting on us. He says, return to me, and I'll return to you. And so I believe there are truths that are already in existence. We don't need a new truth. We just need to obey the truths that he's already spoken, and that'll bring us back into a right relationship with him. And then the fifth truth that runs through the book of Haggai is he says, I will make you like a signet ring. And what he means by that is you're going to represent my authority and my anointing. It's the ring of the king that sealed everything. That if you received a letter that was stamped by and printed by the signet ring of the king, you had full approval. And so as we look at this, that's the summary of the book. And we're going to break it down into each section. So let me ask you this question. When was the last time you heard the voice of the Lord? Not generically. I don't really believe he speaks generically. When I ask this question, and I want to encourage you as you listen to the word of God, listen to the word of God in such a way that don't take notes just intellectually, take notes for application. When was the last time you heard the voice of the Lord, and you go, well, how do I know? <laughs> when he speaks, you know. Uh, anybody have, you know, that uh, voice in your head of mom or dad when, like, you know, my full name is Mark Christopher Conley, right? And when my full name is Mark Christopher Conley, you know. You know exactly what that means, right? And, and so there are times that we hear that voice and it's a beautiful voice that's drawing us close. And there's other times we hear that voice and it's to get our attention. All right. And so when's the last time you heard the voice of the Lord? And, and let me try to give another context. I'm not just talking about like in a right or wrong context, like, oh, you're doing this wrong or I'm affirming you're doing this right. You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when have you heard the voice of the Lord in such a way that it inspired you to be like Jesus? Because you're like, oh, I want nothing more than to be like him. Mm. When have you heard the voice of the Lord in such a way that it inspired you to do something completely selfless? and generous and you knew that he put maybe a specific person upon your heart and mind and you just went out and acted upon his goodness through you and so when I say when was the last time you heard the voice of the Lord well, let me ask this question well what did he say you know a lot of times we I always hear people say well I just need to know the will of God and they Put it almost in the context of like, well, should I wear socks today or not? 
We're not talking about that kind of stuff. More times than not, the will of God is your sanctification. The will of God is for you to become like Christ. And the more you become like Christ, and the more you follow him step by step, then the will becomes more clear. All right? But what did he say? I I have found in my lifetime that when I hear the voice of God, these are the types of things he says. Did he say something about your identity? Did he say something about who you are? And more important, whose you are? Did he say something about, God, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And and did you interrupt him by saying, yeah, but but don't you know I did this recently? And don't you know what about this and what about that? And, And he says, I absolutely adore you. Not many people in life say they adore you. Did he say something about your love? Did he say something about your love for him? Did he say something about your love for others? Because see, when he speaks, he speaks from a relational context. He doesn't just speak, you know, and again, there are different qualities of God, but some we overemphasize, some we underemphasize. And, and, and here in the South, historically, if we're not careful, we have a little bit of a, a legalistic orientation, and we think he speaks kind of as, you know, this policeman in the sky. What you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. But when's the last time you heard his voice and he spoke about how much he loved you? And he spoke about how uniquely and wonderfully and beautifully you've been made. And he, then he goes beyond like your identity and he goes beyond love. When's the last time you heard his voice and he spoke about your purpose? And like your purpose is so much more than making profit and then using your profit to experience pleasure. When did... You hear him say, you can do it. When did you hear him say, you're over here, you're Gideon in in, in the wine press, and you're kind of hiding from your destiny. And he calls you out of your destiny. And he says, oh, valiant warrior. And he begins to speak into that identity again. And he begins to give you new names that have new meaning. And he begins to give you ways to fight the battle that is by love, not by force. I mean, your purpose, listen, there's kind of three things here. Your purpose is to be known by love. Your purpose is to be perfected in unity. And then I'm going to put a little twist on words. Your purpose is to prove faith works. We always say prove love works, and that's true. But in James chapter 2, he says, faith without works is dead. So your purpose, what's my purpose in life? To be known by love, to be perfected in union, to prove faith works. How would your family be different if those three things were lived out? How would your circle of friendship be different if those three things were lived out? 
how would our churches be different? How would our communities be different? How would our cities be different? See, your purpose is to make disciples and advance his kingdom. A disciple is a learner and follower of Christ. That's what it means. And what are you learning? You're learning how to love as he loves. You're following him. And what does he do as you follow him? He's advancing his kingdom. So you're advancing the the word kingdom. Every kingdom has a king. That king comes to establish his rule and reign. And so he's trying to establish his rule and reign in your heart first so that you lead and establish the rule and reign of his love, of his unity, and of his faith upon this land. Think about it in these contexts. So if God's light isn't advancing, the darkness is advancing. So neutral doesn't exist. If God's love isn't advancing, then hate is advancing. All right, now let's, let's twist it a little bit. If mercy isn't increasing, let's use the word increasing. If mercy isn't increasing, what's increasing? Judgment. Right? Because mercy is not giving someone what they do deserve. And so the reason why we have a very critical spirit in our culture right now is because we're low on mercy. The reason why we want to cancel people is because we are being punitive. We are taking vengeance is mine, not vengeance is the Lord's. I'm not going to trust him with it. I'm going to act upon it myself. So if grace isn't increasing, let's go into the world of grace. What's increasing? Grace is the unconditional kindness of God. Well, if we're not increasing the unconditional kindness, then we're increasing the conditional spirit. We're increasing the scorekeeping of basically good works and works-oriented type of orientation of life, performance-driven type stuff. We're increasing the spirit of comparison. You know, we're it's almost like an epidemic, right, with social media that we take all these pictures of our best and most glorious moments and we compare and wonder if our most glorious moments are, you know, good enough to compete with someone else's most glorious moments and we use all these filters and stuff and it's just all a mirage. See, if God's truth isn't increasing, what's increasing? Lies, deception, manipulation but let me say it this way a new doctrine is increasing see if people aren't believing the truth then they're believing lies the goal from the enemy's perspective is never neutral the goal isn't just for you not to believe god or not to believe god's truth the goal is for you to believe him because see he is the father of lies his most effective lies his best lies are the ones that are closest to the truth where you don't even think they're a lie. See, the goal is much bigger than don't believe God's truth. The goal is to disqualify God's truth. And therefore, the goal is to replace God's truth. But if you replace God's truth, then you just replaced God. Because in John 1.14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full, full of grace and truth. 
John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So why am I traveling down this road today, this train of thought today? Because we need to hear God's voice. Grab a hold of this. You need to hear God's voice, not just on Sunday morning. You need to hear God's voice where you take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You need to hear God's voice where the norm is for you to abide in him and him to abide in you and that you have a sensitivity to the spirit of God in such a way that you walk in this consciousness of who he is of who you are, what your purpose is, and how to move according to the ways of the Spirit. See, when you hear God's voice, you need to hear God speak to you as your heavenly Father. So we love that voice because he's a good, good Father. But we also need to hear God speak to us as the King of Kings, as someone that represents authority. All right? So watch this. You need to hear his heart when he says, I am with you. But you also need to hear his authority when he says, consider your ways. I don't want a God that's not good enough to tell me, consider my ways. So what's needed after 70 years of exile What's needed after 16 years of disobedience, all right? So 86 years is a long, long time. And so what did people need to hear after 86 years? So first, they needed to hear God's voice, all right? So um, it was fairly quiet from the perspective of God providing prophets during the exile. Part of the judgment of God, part of the um, discipline of God at times is when we turn a deaf ear to him, then he doesn't always in the immediate moment provide the next voice. He allows us to suffer the consequences of silence sometimes. Second, they needed not only to hear God's voice, they needed to obey God's voice. So in verse 12, it says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shittil, and Joshua, the son of Jehodazak, the high priest, and watch, and all the remnant of the people, so the remnant's kind of the the small core, all the remnant of the people, as the Lord their God had sent them, and the people showed reverence for the Lord. And so I'm going to get to that part about people showing reverence in just a moment, but let's look at this. They obeyed the voice of the Lord. So I want you to have some application. What do you need to obey today that you've been delaying? And listen, whenever I speak like this at times, you've got to, in the world of application, you have to go from information to application in order to have transformation. If the Lord prompted you here in this moment that you needed to go make something right, And you need to get up and leave to go do that. Leave the altar. Go do it. I'm totally good with that. If you needed to start tuning me out right now and text someone and write them, I'm good with that. 
Because see, sometimes when we delay our obedience, we have good intentions to pick it up later, but then we just accidentally let delayed obedience turn into disobedience. So they, they obeyed. So what do you need to obey that you've been delaying? And then they not only obeyed the Lord, they obeyed the voice of his prophet Haggai. And so what prophetic words have you forgotten? A prophetic word is meant to build you up. It's meant to encourage you. It's meant to draw you close to the Lord. And a prophetic word speaks into the future. And it's meant to provide some hope about what he wants to do. And sometimes, some of us have different familiarity with that term, prophetic word. And some of us have received prophetic words, and we didn't even know it was a prophetic word. (laughs) That there were people that spoke into you and said, I see this in your life, and I believe God's doing this, and I believe that the Lord's going to come alongside and do A, B, C. And you maybe just thought it was a positive word, which is prophetic words should be positive words. But as I've learned in my life, there were prophetic words being spoken in my life for a long time that I didn't even recognize the authority in the word. And then there are other times as I'm learning more about the ways of the Spirit in learning how prophetic words should be given, and we got to be careful. We don't want to say, thus saith the Lord. We want to say, I sense, or I discern, or I think this is what the Lord is communicating to me, saying to me, that there are words that are given, and one of the things I recommend, and, and we believe in prophetic words in the life of this church, and we want you to both learn how to receive them and give them, but what I've done over the last four years of my life is virtually, when it's appropriate, I've recorded probably 80, 90% of those words. I probably have then transcribed them. I probably have 200 to 300 pages worth of those prophetic words. But then I go back and I reread them to try to see how the puzzles fit together. But also this, I reread them to see what I have forgotten Versus what I need to remember so that I can be a part of the solution by obeying the Lord to bring it into existence. So what prophetic words have you forgotten? What words do you need to remember and obey? God is the God of restoration. All of us need to be restored. Can you imagine what would happen? if we lived without the hope of restoration. As Karen and I are walking through our own restoration story, God has proven himself time and time again. But I can assure you I need to hear new words that remind me of old words time and time again. Woody sent me a word this week that resonated deeply in my soul And I'm not going to share the whole thing, but just a glimpse of it. It says, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen. And just so that you hear this in the right context, my focus is not on the word 7,000. My focus is on the fact that the Lord has chosen a remnant. 
and he's going to bring a remnant to us, not just from the city of Memphis, not just from the Mid-South region, but we believe there's a remnant coming from all over the world. Irving gave a testimony the other day. Irving's from Cuba. His wife is from Paraguay, South America. We're believing God's bringing people from everywhere. Okay? And so as we look at this, let me tell you the third thing. They needed to show reverence for the Lord. And so that word reverence means that they needed to replace indifference with reverence. See, there was uh, resistance from the outside, indifference from the inside, and so they had to replace indifference with reverence. Well, what does the word reverence mean? It means they needed to show respect and honor to the Lord. You ever felt, if you're a parent, disrespected as a parent? It is the norm, right? Well, then transfer that to God. In the same way we don't like to feel disrespect, we need to make sure one of the things we do best is we honor the Lord. We respect the Lord. That word reverence means we stand in awe of God, but it also means that we kneel before God. And typically, the kneeling comes before the standing. So what's one specific way? Again, I want to move into personal application for you. What's one specific way you can show reverence? Reverence today. Reverence this week. Reverence in your worship. And consider that question in light of his word. So I said this earlier, but I think it bears repeating. Would you show reverence by obeying what he's already said? Like one of the things we talk about a lot in the life of this church is we talk about a priority time, a daily unhurried time to read the word of God, to know the God of the word. It's a devotional time. And then we talk about a weekly time, which is your Sabbath. The Sabbath made the Ten Commandments, all right? It's the, should, in theory, should be the easiest command. Hey, go rest. Hey, go enjoy my presence and your loved ones. And yet we have a hard time obeying the goodness of our Lord. So start obeying what he's already said, because watch. You can't obey the next word until you've obeyed the previous word. There's so many times we're so hungry for the next word. If we're not careful, the next word, if, if we're not careful, we'll take it out of context and we'll make the next word really just about us. And what we have to do is we have to realize, you know, again, let me go back for a second. We ask that question, what's God's will for my life? My life versus what's God's will and how do I adjust my life to it? So in many respects, showing reverence is kind of like the fundamentals in sport. Why don't you go back and master the fundamentals? All right, so as a 6'5 white guy playing basketball that could not jump but had a pretty hefty backside, I was 
not known for my flash, all right? I wasn't known for the behind-the-back pass or something of that nature, right? So I would compete with other people by just mastering the fundamentals. What does it mean to play good team defense if I can't run as fast? What's it mean to play good help defense? What's it mean to be in the right position? What's it mean to use the baseline so someone can't get by me? What does that mean? And see, sometimes we want the flash before we've mastered the fundamentals. Here's, here's the fundamentals. Be with Jesus. Number one, just be with Jesus. Number two, become like Jesus. When you do number one, number two is more caught than taught. And then number three, do what Jesus would do if he were you. I mean, it's master the fundamentals. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus and do what Jesus would do if he were you. And now let me close with the fourth. They needed the affirmation of God's promise. Haggai 1.13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord. Hear that, the commission of the Lord. He's been commissioned to give this message to the people saying, I am with you. When you've had 86 years of different levels of disobedience, and even though it's, it's, it's your disobedience, we tend to still blame it on God. We, we still tend to blame the consequences and the lack of blessing upon him instead of taking ownership of it ourselves. And after being 86 years, and then you come back, after, after 70 years, you come back, and then you, you start building the temple and there's good things, but then all of a sudden, at the first little sign of resistance, you begin, you quit. And then for 16 years, you're indifferent. Is anyone like in a love relationship for someone to be indifferent to you? Like, do you ever go like, hey, you okay? That's because you're sensing indifference. Hey, um, are we good here? That's because you're sensing a little bit of indifference. Hey, you love me? I love you. You know, we're, we're trying to remove, because see, again, neutral just doesn't work in the world of love. I want you to be passionate. I want you to absolutely love loving me. So he says, I am with you, declares the Lord. So reproof is followed by reassurance. And so let's go into some application. Who needs your reassurance this morning? Would you write someone a card this week? There's someone in your life that probably needs some reassurance. Would you send them a text? Would you call them? Would you meet with them face to face? There's someone in your life that needs some reassurance from the Lord, some reassurance from you about the relationship. But this is a significant promise I only pulled four examples, but there are countless examples in the scripture. Listen to how God spoke this to Isaac in Genesis 26. He says, I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. I am with you. Notice what he says. I will bless you and I will multiply. Do you want the blessings of God? Yes. Then reconnect with his presence. Do you want the promises of God? Yes. 
then reconnect with his presence. Listen to what God spoke to Jacob. Behold, that word means stop, give me your undivided attention. That word behold, stop. I'm going to shout at you right now, but it's a good shout. He says, behold, I am with you. These consequences, you, you make it think that I'm not with you. The lies that other people say, it makes you, makes you believe that I'm not with you. There's a lot of things that make you question, but I want you to hear from me. I want to stop the presses, and I want you to hear from me. I am with you. And watch this. And I will keep you. I will keep you. The keeping power of God is one of the most undertaught, underappreciated things in all of Scripture. I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. I'll bring you home. For I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised. Listen to how he spoke to Israel through Isaac, Isaiah 41. Fear not. See, when there's distance, I fear. When I have a sense he's not with me, I fear. Because, see, if I have to do everything on my own, that's overwhelming, that's intimidating. If there's not a sovereign God that's good, I fear. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Then he speaks to Israel through Jeremiah. They will fight against you, but they shall, shall not prevail against you. Why? For I am with you, declares the Lord. To deliver you. The deepest truths are the simplest truths. Stop looking for something deep and mysterious. I am with you. See, I am with you means he forgives and chooses not to remember your past. There's only a handful of people in life that love you enough, know the Lord enough, close enough, that they truly choose not to remember your past. He removes the judgments against us. Can you imagine if we really were in a scorekeeping game? He is with us to protect us. He's with us to prosper us. He's with us to bless us. He's with us to bless the work of our hands. Now hear this. Your work will not be in vain. Your work will not be in vain. Notice it's also what he says in the Great Commission. In the Great Commission, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And by the way, he takes that authority and gives it to you. Go, therefore, since we have this authority... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded, and behold, I am with you. Now he adds this, always. The enemy is going to whisper to you at times and shout at you at times, where's God? Has he forgotten you? Has he left you? And those are just 
lies that he's used throughout time, and you need to remember he is with you. So what's the difference between the Lord being with us or not? Everything. When he's with us, it's his provision. It's his protection. It's his power. It's his peace. You either have blessings or consequences. You either have more than or less than. What's needed when you've been disciplined by the Lord? When you've suffered consequences, you need reassurance. I am with you. And then we see in Deuteronomy 31.8, Joshua 1.5, Hebrews 13.5, he adds, I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. Let me wrap this up. I said that earlier, but... You know the drill. Verse 14 and 15. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of all the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Here's the significance. Anytime you put a date by something, it's pretty significant. On the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. I want history to record the day we all decided to obey. I want history to record the day we decided to truly become revival. I want history to record there was a remnant one time in a red and yellow kind of little building. And I was with them. And they returned to me. It was my great joy to return to them. So what stirs up your spirit? There's a lot of things that tear down your spirit. You know, my priority time, it stirs up my spirit. Every morning, coming to worship, not just coming to church. See, that's the mistake we make. Oh, church is optional. We're coming to worship, to be together. Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, to worship and have the word collide. Oh, that stirs up my spirit. Serving according to my gifts stirs up my spirit. We don't have Tremble this week. We'll have it July 5th, but Justin led Tremble this past week, and he sent me a text, and he said, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. Well, that stirs up my spirit. Making a difference stirs up our spirit. You're difference makers. Testimonies stir up our spirit. 
So what was the result of their spirit being stirred up? Haggai 1.14. They came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. They resolved to delay no more. They resolved to work speedily. They resolved to make up time and to maximize time. They went from 16 years of disobedience to building the temple in four years of obedience. And so let me close with this. Our city will not be stirred up with good church attendance. Our city will not be stirred up by you just being nice, though that helps. Don't be the alternative. Our city is beyond, our country is beyond just a good, successful church. Got to read this. It just was sent to me by Woody this morning. A.W. Tozer, if you've never read him, you need a reading. My discipler, Clyde Cranford, required me to start with two books. They were both by A.W. Tozer. Here's the quote. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, you've got to remember he wrote this 25, 30, 40 years ago. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. Our city won't be stirred up until they hear your testimony, until they hear our testimony. Your family won't be stirred up until they hear your testimony, our testimony. They overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. We are believing in the testimony of salvation. We want to get to a place. Since Karen mentioned High Point earlier, I'll mention it right now. We got to a place at High Point where we were averaging 30 people trusting Christ every Sunday. Why does that number matter? Because every number has a name and every name has a story and every story exists for the glory of God. Why does that number matter? Because that number may be your son or daughter, your mother or father, your brother or sister, your friend or coworker, your neighbor. We wanna have the testimony of salvation again. The word salvation means healing. We want to have healing eternally, but we want to have healing in the present tense. We want to have the testimony of faith arising in this place so much that mountains are moved. We want to have the testimony that miracles are released. We want to have the testimony that prophetic words are given and fulfilled. We want to have the testimony, let's not forget the gifts that aren't necessarily considered supernatural, but they're still supernatural the testimony of administration, the testimony of helps, the testimony of serving, the testimony of giving. You know what it is? It's the testimony of selflessness. Our churches 
aren't vibrant and powerful. Because we don't love well. And the better, best way for us to be a better giver of love is to be a better receiver. So I'm asking you to take a step closer to him so you can receive more of his love. So you can give more of his love. I don't know any, after 20 plus, maybe 25 years of ministry, I don't know anything else. Kind of ran out of all my tricks, all my methods. And you have to kind of come back to the purity of your calling, the purity of what it means to be the church. That's the power of God. Father, we've already had a response time in many ways. But right now, we just ask the Spirit of God to fall upon everyone. We ask that this would be like the equivalent of an upper room right here. And that new measures of the Spirit of God would fall upon each person. And that wherever you are in your journey with Jesus, wherever you are in your journey with the Holy Spirit, that you would just say right now, Lord Jesus, I want more. Fill me up. Just say that in your own spirit. Fill me up. Pour me out. Fill me up, Jesus. Pour me out. Fill me up, Jesus. Pour me out. And just like, get excited about it. Fill me up. Pour me out. Fill me up. Pour me out. Come, Holy Spirit, and fall upon us in greater ways. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, share it with a friend. And be sure to subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single episode. Join our movement and help us to prove that love works. You can give towards our mission at onecitymemphis.org.